Hey everyone, welcome back to One Shot at a Time, a TTRPG podcast. TTRPG. Whoa. Yeah, it stands for Tabletop Roleplay Game. It stands for TT, the song by Twice Roleplaying Game, where yep. we roleplay as Twice members yep. in the Twice-verse. Yep, I am going to be Dai Young. I have the ability to rap and... Okay. Chugama, chugama? Is that what she says all the time? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> chugama balls. Chugama, oh god. Uh, which Twice character would you be? Uh, I only know Tsuyu. Why are the only notes to you? Because I gotta rep my home country. Oh, okay, okay. Taiwan number one. Taiwan number one. To you number one. Okay, okay. Fair. Uh, my name is Daniel Locke. I am your game master, I guess, in this case. Really? Not yeah. Forever DM anymore. Yeah, we're not. I've not been to Forever DM for a little bit. I finally got into a game. Okay. I found a place, a home to be a player. Okay. So now I've evolved to just being a game master. And also not just doing D&D content. So we've branched out. I've evolved from letter D to G. Ah, right. Okay. Yes. You skipped several letters in yeah. that process. Okay. I don't know what the EM master is, but or the E master. The E master, emergency yeah. master. Yeah, and the F master probably. The... <laughs> probably not okay. Yeah. Uh, who are you? Oh, uh, I'm Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's returned. He's made his wonderful descent into yeah, back our into podcast the, yep, world. Back into the podcast world. Yeah, he cast... I tracked into the podcast world. He uh, digitized Andrew. Sent him off into a different oh. space. Oh, okay. Is that the is that the canon for our story now? Yeah, we. It's it's weird how much we talk about Digimon and Mega Man <laughs> Mega Man Battle Network and how like they've kind of just merged continuities. I thought we were talking about Code Lyoko. We yeah, we talked about that once. Return to the past. It sure is French. Oh, is that what it's about? Uh, returning to the past. Code Lyoko. Uh, it's French. Yeah, it's about French people. Returning to the past. Yeah, returning to the past. No. So, uh, quick side Yeah, yeah, 32 minutes, please explain Code Lyoko. Yeah, yeah, Code Lyoko is a animation where a bunch of kids find a computer program, which I think they treat it as a game at first, but there's, like, actually a super virus AI in there that's trying to take over the world. Okay. But they're also trying to save this one pink-haired girl AI that's actually a person, and they can digitize themselves into the Lyoko game world. Okay, wait, so so high-key they copied our idea. Oh, yeah, for sure. For the Richard episode. I think they were around much before that. I think I copied their idea subconsciously, maybe. Maybe that's just your opinion. Yeah. Great. <laughs> too many callbacks. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. it's It's been too long. Too long for all these callbacks. Wait, have you said the name of the show? Yeah, it's One Shot at a Time. Oh, okay. I said it at the very beginning. I think I did say it's a TTRPG podcast instead of a D&D podcast. That's right. And that's, keep that's where it all went wrong. That's where it all went wrong. Yeah. And we keep returning back to that. Okay, cool. They do return back to the past at the end of each episode after like the Monster of the Week style to like reset the timeline after they like try to save some shit. Really? Yeah, because Xana will hack into like the modern day world and cause problems and then the kids have to go into the computer and stop him from doing stuff. Huh. There's an episode where a guy or a gym teacher dies. He just gets murked and it's wild considering that was a kid show back in the 90s. Yeah, okay. And that's a great transition into our topic for today. We're doing a bonus episode about... uh, Killing your gym gym teacher. Jimbo. Jim Bones. Yeah, he kept trying to tell you dogs can't play basketball. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Gritty Mm -hmm. reboot of Mm -hmm. Air Bud. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've always wanted to play a game. With all of you. I guess he's the saw guy now? I don't oh, know. oh, the, the gym teacher. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so the gym teacher wanted to play basketball, which is why he was trying to prevent the dog from playing. Because it took his spot. Okay. Yeah. Great. This is an interesting redemption sort of uh, subplot. This is kind of like the, what's that companion show to 
Breaking Bad. Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. I know nothing about either show, but I assume it was something like that. Just like with a dog and then like a human man. Yeah, and a lot more cocaine. A more meth. cocaine? No, more meth. More meth. meth. Meth, Okay. I gotta get that right. Breaking a Bad is about meth, not cocaine. When you break a bad, it's, you make meth. Yeah, blue meth. And and making cocaine is called making mad. Making mad, yes. Glad? Great. Okay, let's keep doing bad bits until we find something that we can actually transition into the topic of today's episode. (laughs) Or we can just transition into it. What are we talking about today, Daniel? So, okay, today we have a new TRPG system that I found on a whim somewhere. Someone, I think it was like Reddit or something. One of those websites. Yeah, the websites. You know, on the internet. The internet. Um, Where kids get digitized into. Yes, and then... um, I can't pull out any Digimon references because I really don't know anything about the show. What about Spongebob references? Uh, yeah, and those are banned. Um, <laughs> this episode's just bad callbacks. Bikini Bottom? Yeah, Bikini Bottom. Okay, great, nailed it. So, mm. uh, it's called Fabula Ultima. Karen. Excuse me? Karen. That's the name of Plankton's wife that is a robot. Really? Yeah. Okay, let's get deep into this Spongebob lore. Yeah, so Plankton has a wife. Okay. Karen, who's this robot with a screen on her head. Okay. And I don't know why they call her Karen. She's not actually very mean or anything. Or okay. Like, she doesn't ask for the manager, but she's right, a very right. supportive wife. Well, I think it's safe to assume that uh, this, whatever episode you're talking about, probably existed before the kind of advent of the sort of Karen as a slur mentality that we have. Fair, fair, fair. Speaking of slurs, <laughs> we've got another great TRPG system for you. <laughs> uh, we're back, baby. Okay, two Daniels. Um, so we, we have this, it's a TRPG system, hang on, let me retake that. So it's a TRPG system called Fabula Ultima. Let me retake that. Okay, so it's a TRPG system called Call of Cthulhu. Okay, retake that. Okay, so it's a TRPG system called, shit. How many more TRPG systems you got in I really don't know a lot. No, okay, so it's called Fabula Ultima. It's, the name itself is like Latin basically for what essentially directly translates it into Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. So it's based on JRPGs, and the rules themselves seem, like, very streamlined, and it's, like, a cool balance between the sort of crunchy class-building and combat mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons, mm-hmm. um, or, like, Pathfinder, if you will, and sort of, like... Dungeons & Dragons is banned now. No yes, one talks about it Yes, don't even anymore. say it. Yeah. Don't even say the word done. Oh, yeah. Done. <laughs> you can't say done. You can't say done. You can't say jun. Yeah. Can't um, Doug. Yeah, sorry. Doug. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Flop. Okay. Um. Yeah, you can't say Doug, which is also a show that... Does Doug have a companion show? Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah, show? Yeah, the one where he has, like, the blue dog and he plays, like, Quail Man or something. He becomes Quail Man in his comic book that he writes. Oh, yeah, that might be it. I or know nothing about it? the show. I should stop bringing up shows that I don't know anything about. Um, oh, I know about them. Okay, great. Yeah. And does that have a companion show? Uh, no, not right now. Okay, so cut this. I'm sure it'll be rebooted sometime in the future. Everyone loves Doug. It? Man, I don't even know. That, like, I feel like that's one of those shows where you watch it as a kid and you're like, uh, I don't know, this is, like, not as good as Spongebob. And then you grow up and it's, like, suddenly you realize that there was this weird cult following because mm-hmm. it did, like, some weird Ed, Ed, and Eddie shit. Yeah, it's, like, this, like, slightly adult tone where it has, like, moral stories. It That was that kind of show? It was kind of like that show. Cause I, okay. Or maybe at least the sh- episodes I watched because there's a character named Patty Mayonnaise that was dealing with body dysmorphia. Patty Mayonnaise. Okay. Yeah, like, hardcore. Like, she would just, like, spray olive oil in her mouth. Like, that's my lunch. And I'm like, okay. Wait, oh, is it, like, it was implying that she was, uh... Like, she had, like... 
I, I don't know if like body like, dysmorphia is like the actual correct term for it, but she essentially was dieting way too hard for her like health. Oh, okay. Causing problems. I feel like, but that, this was like back in the nineties, right? Yes. So there was definitely a much more sort of focus on those disorders, which really, I don't really see it today kind of like prominently featured in terms of like, you know, here's things that you should watch out as a kid for. Yeah. I, I think because modern day animation has taken a pivot toward like, instead of being like moral lessons for each episode, they're having like actual overarching stories with like Mm. a bigger like implication towards like world problems or things that are going on in America. Oh, really? Okay. Speaking of Mm. arcs implying (laughs) the existence of worldly problems over a more extended period of storytelling... Um, the system we're doing to, I think I was in the middle of describing what the system was. <laughs> Great transition. Okay. So if you remember what we were talking about 10 minutes ago, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's this fabulous Ultima is this nice mix of like crunchy D and D numbers and like sort of like class combinations and combat options. Plus the more like, like more focused storytelling in a way. Yeah. It's a lot more like kind of, there aren't a lot of very specific rules for what you are allowed to do with the story building. Correct. So correct. like players will have options to kind of like improv their own stuff into the story from time to time. It's actually heavily encouraged in the way they build the characters because similar to D&D, it has like ideals, bonds, and goals, but it goes like a level of past that. Yeah, it's actually integrated. With like traits that are integrated in your abilities and scores. Yeah. Kind of like when you think of like Fire Emblem games where like you have like a companion that are like really close to each other and if you stack them on top of each other, they'll they have, have a, a baby. Chance. They have a baby and they have a higher chance of critting. Oh, crit on, okay. Yeah, they can crit that baby. Okay, <laughs> Wow. I didn't, yeah, that's that's not a uh, angle on the word crit that I really wanted to They have do have, life. like, a game where literally if the two characters are companions and together all the time yeah. for Fire Emblem, yeah. the future characters that yeah. appear are literally their yes. children mixed yes. together. Yes, yes, No, no, no. That's it's, wild. That's yeah. not a game. That is, like, all of them? That is, like, every Fire Emblem game since, like, 2008. Okay, okay. All right. Maybe that's the only one I played that I remember. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think, like... Every single, for like the past four Fire Emblems or something, they've all been like, make a future baby to fight for you is like a heavily like leaned on mechanic. Yeah. Sadly, that's not a mechanic in this game. Really? Um, Maybe it can be. I don't know. I didn't didn't read the whole book. I only read the whole book. I I didn't read the whole book. You're not going to let me be the fuck master? (laughs) Uh, Are we transitioning? So like I'm the DM, then you're the, no, that you'd be the emergency master. Okay. Then I'd have to be then the fuck you master. Then you be the fuck master. Then you have to be the game master. So we have to... I guess we can transition and okay. switch off. I yeah. don't know where we're going with this. <laughs> My hands are going back and forth. All right, speaking of open. transitioning, um, in this new TRPG system we're going to pl- be playing with, you can actually play a character that is not a gender that is your own, mm-hmm. biologically assigned gender. Ah, yes, true. That is true. <laughs> that is 100% true. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> Okay, okay let's actually try to talk about this game. Yes, okay. okay, so what I wanted to ask you before you told me to, uh, before you insisted on me explaining the I system, just wanted you to say the name of what we're doing to today. This. How long have we been recording? It's been about 15 it's minutes. It's only been 15 minutes, really. <laughs> this is a bonus episode. We're free to go Okay, wild. you could have you could have said, like, it's been 40 minutes, Daniel, and I would have been like, oh, <laughs> shit, we got to get on topic. Damn, that must have been some intense talks. Right, okay. But yeah, no, no, I wanted to ask you, like, so I have been away for a while. Let's get a sort of feel on the direction of where we're going to be going with the new season, right? Because this is going to be another sort of very experimental, like, is it going to be a foray into a bunch of different systems? Are we looking for something that kind of like really resonates with our design process? 
Or are we just going to kind of focus in on one new system and then try it for a season, see what works? Like, what is your what are your thoughts on kind of transitioning away from D&D? And like, what are you kind of like maybe looking for in a new system? Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on where yeah. you want the show to go? Yeah, for me, as I guess the primary editor, I wanted to experiment with new systems. Like originally, the direct jump in was going to be Blades in the Dark yep. uh, with Andrew mainly because it was the system I was most familiar with outside of it, and I was going to do a whole season just on Blades in the Dark. But having read Fabulous Ultima and you presenting it to me, I was like, wow, this is actually really cool because I'm actually a huge fan of JRPGs. I grew up with them all my life. Sure. Played a ton of Final Fantasy. Oh, you're a huge fan of JRPGs, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name every JRPG. Name every JRPG. <laughs> uh, Octopath Traveler? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a JRPG. That is a JRPG. That is a JRPG. Final Fantasy... Dragon's Quest? Dragon's Quest? You're a fake fan. Damn it, you're right. Dragon's Quest? How dare you? Dragon's Quest. Is it one dragon? It's it's just Dragon Quest. But anyways, please continue. Yeah, so I think for this next season, I wanted us to do like maybe a couple episodes where we're experimenting with different JRPGs that we find interesting. Not JRPGs. Fuck. Tabletop role-playing games. Yeah, I mean. TRPGs. Easy slip of the the tongue. Uh, So my goal for the next season, I wanted to try at least one or two new TTRPGs for the next season. Maybe try designing for it for like three to four episodes. Yep. And then see how it vibes with us. Do we like the system? Does it have mechanical aspects that we enjoy? Can it tell the stories we want to tell? Because every system does have its own specificities. Of course, you can homebrew the shit out of anything to make it work yep. for you. Um, I think that's the nice thing about D&D, because it's so widely known. You can see how much people tweak the crap out of it to make it work for their table. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. But there's also other things to try, and the nice thing about other TTRPGs is you can learn different mechanics that might work for your table. Like with Blades in the Dark specifically that I've been playing with is the clock system, and as we'll go into with Fabula Ultima, there's a lot of aspects that I think would make for fun table dynamics that could enhance storytelling in a way. Yes. Okay, cool. So there's probably going to be a discussion we're going to need to have on how well this system works for us but obviously we'll do that after we kind of introduce this which we we should really be getting to yeah we should also try the system at some point oh yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah because uh so far we've only read the quick start handbook to get an idea yeah which i have personally read the actual rule book okay well daniel's a overachiever fuck him so Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll have to read that as well but it's not too expensive. I think it's on like what's that RPG side? Drive through RPGs. You can get sure, it for like yeah. twenty bucks or less. Yeah. It's not a very expensive one and it looks very cool. Um especially if you the like art RPGs. is great. Yeah. The art, art is, is great. great. The design of the book is very nice. It's like very clear like sections, so you can very clearly see like where the rules you need to read are. Yeah, this is actually probably a good point for me to talk about how good the quick start handbook is for new dungeon masters. Yeah. Because not only does it write in the rules of how the game works, it actually tells you like this is how you can assist your players in a scenario where you need to Gandalf them and bring in like the the Hawks or yes, you can yes. also how to encourage them to role play by saying like, all right, this ship is open to you. Feel free to describe what you want to add on because at this point in time, whatever happens on the ship, it's not going to be detrimental to the overworld story. Exactly. So yeah. it's like being open to the ideas and improvising in that aspect. Um, they have a lot of great tips for new DMs. I'd highly recommend just reading it to get an idea of like how you can enhance your own play if your goal is to have more of a role-playing game style of storytelling versus more like mechanic heavy yes yeah um okay so cool let's to maintain at least some semblance of structure to this episode (laughs) here's where we'll begin just like a quick run through of what the starter kit is describe the rules as it describes in the starter kit uh then we can kind of have a discussion about what we like about it what we don't like about it for sure okay 
How do you want to do this? I think we should start off just going over how the checks differentiate from Dungeons and Dragons, because that's going to be the main point of view for most players. Okay. If they've never, if they've only played, most people have only played Dungeons and Dragons as a tabletop role-playing game, and maybe the point of reference for most of them from other D&D shows is Dungeons and Dragons. So the D20 system is what they know. Yes. Let's kind of introduce them to their fancy double dice check system. That they yes. Have. Okay. Um, so before we go into that, uh, I, I actually... The the sort of the starter kit for this game um, is like so well designed. So I kind of wanted to just give an overview of, of what it actually is. Oh yeah, yeah. For okay. people who are interested, so the starter kit, what we're saying, what we're calling a starter kit, is really just a like pamphlet. Um, yeah, it's like a twenty page or so PDF. Mm-hmm. It's called Press Start. Um, so if you want to look this up, just look up Fabula Ultima. That's F A B U L A. Fabula Ultima is Ultima Online. Um, <laughs> it's easier way than like spelling out and then making people like yeah. rewind five seconds, being like, "Is that U T L M?" It's Ultimate without the T E. Yeah, there you go. There you um, go. so look up Fabula Ultima. Press start. I'll put a link in the end of this episode. Right. Too. Yeah, that works. And then what it is is it's basically like a quick start guide that as long as you have the guide, some dice, um, which you know you can just roll digital dice yep. if you don't have physicals. So as long as you have that, a dice, a GM, and then four players, it'll basically guide you through an entire sort of one-shot scenario mm-hmm. um, where you don't need to prepare anything, even as the dungeon master. Yep. So, And while it's walking you through, you don't even need to preview the rules because it will introduce rules that you need as they come up in the story. Yeah, they even give you tips on how to reduce, if you ha- don't have four players, how to do it for two players, how to reduce like, right. HP and adjust monsters <clears throat> for these particular scenarios, yeah. which makes it very easy for someone who just wants to pick up something and run it for their friends to try. Yeah, so yeah, no. So I, I highly recommend if you are interested in the, the system at all or if you're looking for something new to play, just look that up and then try running it for some friends, just like on a total whim. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, you really need like no preparation. You just got to like thumb through it a bit and then it'll just tell you how to handle things as they come up. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so let's get into sort of uh, what the core rules of this game are. Yeah, the so are we going to dive into the checks and mechanical systems? Uh, a little bit? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right, let's get crunchy. So the main difference from like a Dungeons & Dragons D20 system is that they use two dice, okay? Um, it's either two D6s, two D8s, two D10s, two D12s. For the checks. Yeah, for the yeah, checks. So when you roll a check, instead of rolling a D20, you roll a combination of two dice that are based on your stats. Yeah, based on your stats that you get built into. And that's about building your characters. With the pre-written one, it's going to be all there. But the main difference here is that like each stat is correlated to a certain dice. So like I think right. the main four are like dexterity, insight, might, and will. Willpower, so, yes. Yeah, so the higher your stats, the better you are at something, the bigger the dice you get. Right, so in terms of, in D&D terms, it would be like, basically, if you have 10 strength, then you have a D6 for your strength score. And then it, with the same kind of scaling, then as you get like maybe 12 strength, it would go up to a D8, 14 strength would be a D10, and then 16 would be uh, D12 and so on. The, the max is a yeah, D12. The but, max is a D12. But basically, as, you, as your strength score, quote unquote, increases, you get to roll a bigger die for those checks, and that increases your chance of success. Yeah, with like the average dice, I think, being the D8, which would be like the 10 equivalent. Yeah. But um, usually you would roll two dice, either if it's like, depending on the type of check, like if someone's like, oh, you're trying to see if a guy is lying, then there will be like an insight check, and you would want to yeah. roll two insight dice, whatever that is, and you take the average of the two. Right. Let's talk about the system a little bit because I think it's so elegant because there is this very kind of like all-encompassing simplicity to it where it's really just, okay, what dice are you going to roll for this? And then how does that pit your chances 
against the difficulty check, which is always going to be a spectrum of a target between like 7 and 16. Mm -hmm. 16 being the high end. So it's very easy to understand, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it feels very rewarding to play your character in a way that plays to his strengths. Yes. So the other very sort of interesting modular thing about the rolling system is the dice that you use for your checks, uh, as Daniel mentioned, it's, um, for example, if you're rolling like a purely insight-based check, then you would roll your insight die twice Mm -hmm. um, and then add up the total and then Mm -hmm. compare that to the difficulty level. But on that same spectrum, if, for instance, you're doing like a strength check where you're trying to outlast someone, you can actually mix and match the two abilities. So you can do a strength and a will modifier. So you would take your strength dice, which may be a D10, and your will, which may be a D8, and then you roll those two and take the atom. Right, yeah. And so it's, it's this great system where as the DM, instead of being like, okay, look at this list of 20 skills and then tell me which skill you think would apply to this situation. You can just be like, oh, okay, Um, you're trying to impress this wench with (laughs) juggling. Why don't you go ahead and roll dex because juggling is like a feat of dexterity. Juggling your boobs. Right. Oh, (laughs) oh no. Oh, you want to juggle this one? No, okay. Um, Oh, you want to sexually harass this woman? Okay, well, why don't you roll... No, so, um, so like, yeah, if you wanted to impress somebody with juggling, what it would, would be, be sexual harassment. What would be the two attributes you'd throw for those I'm probably two? Probably just like double willpower. Maybe, oh. maybe strength willpower if you're doing it in a physical way. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, so doing... what we're saying is this is a great system for if you want to have like a lot of sort of like sexism in your game. No, definitely not. 100% <laughs> not. If you have players who are really into that sort of role. Oh, please, gosh. No. No, no. so, but, okay. It a lot allows for customization. Please let me finish this fucking analogy. Yes. <laughs> Please let me finish this fucking analogy. So yeah, so juggling to impress somebody would be like dex for the actual... Uh, Acrobatics. Yeah, for the actual physical component of it, and then willpower for the sort of charismatic component mm-hmm, of it. Exactly. Um, and then similarly, if you wanted to say maybe like try and convince somebody based on some kind of information that you have on them, maybe, you know, you want to like convince somebody to use these tactics, right? Like mm-hmm. you're talking to um the the wyvern general yeah yeah right like the the, yeah. ge- the, the captain or the general of yeah. some kind of night squadron and you want to say okay we know that you know these enemies are coming from here and then so why don't you instead of like you know moving out to wherever you're going to go why don't you like come over to the village and protect them yeah protect the village to reinforce your front line and maybe based off that you can adjust your roles right so if it's like persuasion based off of some kind of information then Mm -hmm. you might roll insight and willpower exactly um so as the dm you can kind of be like oh well what would be like the appropriate stats for this and Mm -hmm. then you can kind of just assign them something instead of having to like flip through character sheets and then like argue whether or not something applies or not yeah it allows for a little bit more flexibility i'm sure there's still going to be arguments depending on your table yeah absolutely Overall, it allows for a little bit more customization in your roles, which yeah. I think is the main point we're trying to get here. The other thing about the check system here is, like D&D, it's a pass or fail system. Although, it does specify in the Quick Start Manual, depending on how hard you succeed, it may adjust like what they do. And like if they roll what they call a crit in the system is rolling two of the same dice above six, yeah. I think, is, or whatever the difficulty yes. level, you essentially crit, and then you're guaranteed success and crazy shit happens, or you describe it in a very glorious way. Right, yeah. The critical success system is something really elegant. The critical failures and successes in this game, rolling two ones yes. on that check will give you an automatic failure, mm-hmm. um, critical failure, 
Uh, there's no, you don't get additionally punished. It's just an automatic failure. You actually get something else. You get a thing called Stroke of Bad Luck, which I think grants you a later mechanic called a Fabula Point, which we'll talk on later. Yeah, so the system of critical failures and successes is critical failure, you get an automatic failure, and then the enemy gets to use what's called an opportunity. And there's a list of sort of like mechanical or kind of story-related effects that you can kind of just put into play. Yeah, definitely something to look into a bit more. We're kind of going off memory here, but the quick book will give you a lot of details on how this works, and it's a real quick, easy read. Overall, we just think that the system itself is just very modular, which is one of our key buzzwords, and overall allows for characters to make their roles feel unique to what they're trying to do, which I think is very cool. Yeah, it's nice. There's a lot of sort of not only mechanical kind of like, oh, you succeeded on this check, now you get to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of like, oh, if you critically, su- critically succeed, then um, you can even kind of put your own spin on maybe a narrative element of whatever scene you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so moving on from that, well, I guess a quick touch. They do have like status effects that like adjust the dice. Yep. Mainly when you get a status effect like poison and stuff, it doesn't damage you. It just lowers the dice you get to roll. Like yep. that's how they like implement that kind of punishment, which a lot of enemies have that ability. And it adds a strategical element when you're battling on whether or not you have to cure an effect or do you want to imply effect to an enemy to make them weaker and less likely to hit. It's a juggle and it adds a strategic element that I would say is a, a little bit different from what you would see in D&D, which is... Well, it's instead of, it's basically a way of, instead of saying like, oh, you get a minus number penalty to this kind of roll, or you get to roll this kind of roll with disadvantage. Yes. It just says, roll this kind of uh, stat with a lower die. Exactly. Which it, is like, it's, it, you know, it's the same kind of like lowering statistical probability yeah, of this thing happening. For sure. But it really reminds me of like a JRPG feel when you're playing a game. Yes. When you're doing a battle, you're like, oh, I got buffed this way, but I got debuffed this way. Now I have to manage the buff meter. Right. And how to clear certain like, maybe I have to cleanse to get rid of certain effects and stuff. Yeah, it is an interesting, yeah, that's one thing we didn't really talk about is just like how actually rpge or yeah. jrpge this system feels with it like feels very jrpg yeah like you have mp um you're using magic and skills during combat mm-hmm. as you would in an rpg you have yeah like all these status effects that are being juggled yeah they like if we're, let's go into the combat a little bit because i guess this kind of ties into it pretty well the way they set it up is there's no movement in mm-hmm. this game it doesn't there's no battle map it's very it's turn-based like yep. a jrpg yes and if you ever played, I guess, like, Atelia, one of the Atelia series or any yeah. of the other JRPG series, I guess, they'll have, like, oh, which monster goes up next on, like, the top? Right, right. And then you can see, like, oh, based off their initiative, who goes where? And for the player team, I think they can technically switch around however they want. They can pick yeah. who gets to go whenever. So it's, um, you when you get into combat, you do an initiative group check. Um, so it's not individual initiatives. It's um, everybody roll. So somebody becomes the leader. Everybody rolls, so whoever's not the leader can contribute a bonus if they pass a, a check to the leader's roll, and then the leader's roll is a uh, an opposed roll with the enemy team's initiative check. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and so there's no there's only turns that uh, differentiate between the player party and the enemy party. Yep, exactly. And then uh, so it's everybody on one party goes, and then everybody on the other party goes. And then if the numbers are... Well, they take turns, if I remember. Like, you go once, and the next person... Then the enemy goes. Then you go, then the enemy goes. Until they run out of turns, or you run out of turns. Oh, does it alternate? Yeah, it alternates. I believe it alternates back and forth. So if there's, like, let's say three enemies on the other side, and maybe none of them have multi-attack, then it's like, whoever has the higher initiative gets to go first, 
They pick oh, one person to go. Oh, yeah, okay. Then maybe, like, the enemy bat gets to go. Right. And your, one of your characters get to go. Then the enemy snipe gets to go. Okay, yeah, so it's divinity rules. Yes, divinity rules. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that is literally divinity rules. I wonder if that's where he got it. <laughs> it's not a bad system. It's It makes sense given the kind of flow of how the game works. Yes. And what they're trying to emulate, which is a JRPG game yes. at a tabletop. Yeah, so th- normally there's no movement, but actually if that turns you off, the author did create a uh, grid-based oh, really? uh, like a, like companion show. Companion show? Rule yeah. set to uh, to combat. Yeah, some companion yeah. shows. So that's on his that's Grid-based, on the companion show yeah, for yeah, Battle yeah. Ultima. Yeah, so there's Breaking Ultima and then there's Better, Better Call, Call Grid Show. Grid, yeah. Okay. Great, that was great. All right, cool. Yeah. I don't think we need to delve into combat too much. That's um, the basic premise of how it works. That's yeah. the main difference, too, honestly. From right, me. it's just initiative goes in that order. Rolls to attack are still basically the same. You ha- you Based on the weapon you're using, you choose the stats associated with the weapon. You roll to hit, you how roll damage. How do you damage. feel about the combat system, though, being like this way, the divinity rules? Do you think it's fun? Do you miss not having like the ability to move? Does that take away from a tactical aspect? Um, well... I mean, essentially, it's the same thing as playing Theater of the Mind, so to speak. Yes. In some ways, like, in D&D, obviously, there's a lot of rules to kind of be like, well, I moved more than his movement speed last mm-hmm. round, so he can't get into melee range of yeah. me. Stuff like that. But, I mean, really, like, if you are in the fray, typically, you're going to be trading hits blow for blow. From my perspective as a game master, the main thing I think about is letting players be able to improvise things on the fly, which I don't know how well the system opens up to that because right. the classic example is like, is there a chandelier above the enemy's head that everyone always asks for sometimes? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, there actually is. So the rule set for this is actually perfect for that kind of thing. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because you can do things using your, uh, they're, they're sort of like these meta game resources it's kind of like inspiration points, but they're much more like fundamentally integrated into being used in the game. Is it the fabula points? Yeah, so you have fabula points and you have opportunities from critting. Mm-hmm. And so if you use one of those, you I believe there there's like a list of um, kind of like situations or mechanics that you can spend the point on to, uh, to invoke, right? So it might be like, oh, I want to um, give this enemy a certain status effect or I want to uh, do a certain amount of damage. But I believe there's things you can do to uh, like basically engage well okay so there's there's two sides to this right so you can use points to kind of invoke some kind of narrative element that might um give you an advantage in battle i see that here yeah and then there is also another thing another action you can take instead of attacking or like casting a spell called i think it's called objective oh okay and basically you start a clock Mm. as you would in, in blades in the dark right yeah so it's a you the clock is um there's like a certain number of sections in the clock, and then succeeding on an objective roll fills some sections of the clock based yeah. on how hard you succeed. So an example would be like a four-section clock. You succeed on a roll, you fill two sections, and if you fill all four, you maybe cause the chandelier to fall on the enemy. Yeah, exactly. There is that sort of like free role play sort of like, I want to cause a chandelier to fall on this knight, and then he'll die. Why are there so many chandeliers in this cave? <laughs> right, yeah. We're in a chandelier warehouse. <laughs> And then the cool thing about this system is uh, they have rules for how long a clock should take to fill up based yeah. on the effect. Mm-hmm. So four, a four-part clock would be a minor effect, which might be something like, um, you know, putting them at some kind of mechanical disadvantage. Light bulb falls on their head. Yeah, exactly. Maybe do some minor amount of damage or give them a status effect, etc. Um, then something like eight to ten parts would be 
a significant advantage in battle. A grand so maybe chandelier. Like, a grand piano. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to compare everything to chandeliers from this point on when yeah, it comes yeah, to yeah. effects. So you would be doing maybe like a grand piano's worth of damage to them or disabling a mm-hmm. grand piano's worth of the, some of their abilities, maybe. Exactly. So maybe like... Um, they get a status effect called grand piano that debuffs them. Right. So say you're fighting a grand piano <laughs> and its bass chords are like really wrecking your party... <laughs> You might say, oh, I want to cut the strings on the piano's left-hand section, mm. thereby disabling its effects. So the, the GM would say, okay, 10-section uh, clock, um, you know, like, tell me what you're going to do to try that, yes. and then roll to, I'll determine what stats you're going to use to roll, and then we'll have you, you know, do whatever piano-related, whatever bullshit you're yeah. doing in this metaphor. Yeah. Um, and then a 12-section clock would be, like, a decisive victory. Mm-hmm. So you would be, like, ending the battle with your victory. Yes, you would essentially cut all the strings on the grand piano, or maybe you bring in a young piano that's much more effective than the grand piano, putting it out of business, forcing them to retire. Grandfather piano. Yeah, okay. grandfather piano. I exactly. See. There you go. Yeah, so so there there are a lot of, um, well, not a lot of mechanics, but there are mechanics in play that let you kind of, like, if you want to be, like, the guy that just does shenanigans yes, during combat. Exactly. It's you available. Can, you can do that and not just, like, be doing literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Which can happen a lot in D&D, depending on your game master. Sometimes right. it can be very OP, but depending on the style you're playing with, it and by the rules, you might do a lot of nothing. Yeah, that's definitely a problem I've run into in D&D, where, like, players will want to roleplay their character, right? Mm-hmm. They might have, like, a wacky character concept, and sometimes it will be something like, oh, you know, I'm this sort of, like, delusional guy who doesn't, who can't, like, differentiate between he, uh, enemy and uh, friend, mm-hmm. And so, like, I wouldn't know who to attack in this situation, so I'm yeah. going to do this or that. And in this rule set, it's it's a lot more sort of, like, uh, streamlined. Yeah, it's structured out a bit. Yeah, like, oh. so you can kind of be like, oh, okay, well, if you roll for this, then I'll let you kind of uh, maybe do this wacky thing and contribute in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas in D&D, you would kind of have to, like, if it's not grounded in mechanics, then it's kind of hard to, like, keep it fair, so it's really hard to make a decision. Yeah, that scenario, it very, very much leans on your improvisational skills as your game master and, right. like, how to make something fair happen. Because it could be really ridiculous, like, the guy's like, oh, I randomly attacked my friend, but then gave him a buff because I hit him with, like, a steroid. And you're like, all right. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it also can kind of feel kind of weird, at, this, at least this way, for those who are looking for a more gamey system. There's a rule here for you. There's a clock. Boom. Mm -hmm. That's why you do the thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. I think that's mostly everything as far as the battle mechanics and the concerns I had with it. Overall, I think it's pretty fun. It seems like it's a good system for people to roleplay in. It can get kind of chunky looking at the HP pool for for some of the enemies, but... Oh, yeah, but damage rolls are pretty high. Yeah, that's also... It's also, again, like a JRPG. Everyone's getting, like, thousands of damage Exactly, exactly. Yeah, what did you want to hit on, hit on next? Uh, let's talk about the traits and bonds on like when they do character building. Ah, yes. Okay. That's very cool. For me, I think this is the part that I like the most because it gives a clear mechanical benefit for why your characters are the way they are. It gives mm-hmm. them, I think, the core aspects of building a character, like the identity of where they who they are. I think the example they have for the book is like, uh, there's like a princess from a far off land. Her identity is she's the princess of this kingdom. Yep. She has a theme. Uh, it's like what they call the dominant narrative force that drives them. And yeah. she wants, her theme is duty. She wants to protect her kingdom. Yep. And then the last one is origins. Where are they from? Which is like their homeland. It's just like, I think they called it Denova is the place. So. Denovo. Denovo. Oh no. <laughs> Do you know? That's actually 
we should do this for our next episode. We should do a JRPG adventure where you have to fight Denuvo. <laughs> sure. Okay, anyways. Well, we'll figure that out. That, that'll yeah. be our next episode. You'll, so, Denuvo returns. <laughs> Denuvo strikes back. We technically did have an episode about Denuvo, but I was just because I talked about it for most <laughs> of the episode. Yep. Yeah, no, this system is really cool because... So, it's actually funny. I was, Initially, when I was reading through this rulebook, I was like, it feels cheap to tie a mechanic to roleplay. Something yes. that is, like, exclusively narrative, right? Yes. Because it's like, you're kind of dictating how people should act so initially i was like it feels weird to add a mechanical sort of uh what's it called a mechanical benefit or detriment yeah um, motivation motivation yeah to to role playing right Mm -hmm. well i mean i mean that's not bad specifically but it's like the way bonds work in this game is like okay you choose a character or you know a a group of people Mm -hmm. or a place and you select an emotion that you feel towards that. Yeah, like admiration or inferiority, right. loyalty or mistrust, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, so there's six you can choose from, and then it's three sets of two spectrums, basically. So yes. there's like inferiority versus admiration. Mm-hmm. I forget the others, but they're it, there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, We listed four of them. It's good enough. Right. Well, we listed... Oh, yeah. Okay, so what is actually kind of nice about the system is it kind of motivates you to keep this web of relationships yes and i especially like how you can have bonds with other player characters Mm -hmm. so it makes it a lot more clear when you are role-playing and maybe there is like some kind of tension between two player characters and sometimes that gets kind of hard to navigate right Mm -hmm. because one person might not like both parties might not be transparent enough in the role play and mm-hmm. people will take things the wrong way. Right. Cause it's like, why are you antagonizing me for seemingly no reason? Yeah. So you can kind of be very explicit. Like this scene, this event impacted my character in this way. And that's why he now feels this way about your character. Yeah. So it makes it a lot easier to navigate these sorts of like, it's like a clear title or like a tag for the character. So they know right. they mistrust you or they are very loyal to you kind of. Thing. Yeah. So it's, it's this nice way of not only adding like a mechanical use for your good role play. Mm-hmm. It also lets you kind of manage how exactly your character is interacting with the world. And it makes it a lot more clear to how you want to progress your character narratively yeah from like a mechanical aspect the bond and emotions when you have them you can use them to like affect your checks or use them for fabula roles for yes. objectives and stuff overall they have like a point place in the world so having them is good but you also can't grow them too fast sometimes they come from like a character uh, losing a battle or something but the nice part of it is that it gives you the clear through line for the players at the table that's outside of the game to see oh, my character mistrusts you because of this reason. And then you can explain it. They even specify in the quick starts, like, you want to be very transparent out of the table. Because, like, in table, maybe characters have secrets as, like, the characters. But out of table, you guys are a player working together to tell a storyline. And keeping secrets from each other at the table makes it very difficult to have those fun, dramatic moments you're looking for or a good, like, closing on, like, an arc Stuff like that. This kind of goes into um, why I actually think that the JRPG aesthetic actually really aids the roleplay. Like, it might not be what everybody's looking for oh, in no. terms of, like, you know, it's it's a kind of story where you're meant to succeed. Mm-hmm. Characters are going to grow in kind of, like, very obvious ways based on their flaws. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I like how the approach is very much, like, it's not 
you are playing a character and someone else is playing a character and then you're kind of like putting the characters together and seeing what kind of reactions happen. Yes. It's more like, say you're four people at a table. Well, I mean, obviously everybody's playing their own character, but yes. also on a more meta level, it's like everybody is enjoying the... Same uh, story. Yeah, like the sort of joined narrative of these four people. Mm-hmm. So and they're working together to build a collaborative narrative. Exactly, each yeah. Of them. So there's yeah. a lot of collaborative storytelling. and yeah. there's Yeah, so that's kind of like the theme of the whole system really is like there is just everybody has input along basically every step of the way. Yeah, looking at the quick start too, they do specify from like a theme aspect of Fabula uh, Ultima is that it is meant for people to write a story about heroes. So yeah, exactly. They even specify like near the end of one of the climactic boss fights in the one shot that if a character chooses not to be a hero, that's fine. They can do that. If that's truly what your player believes it will happen to their character, but they are technically out of the story and the player would have to make a new one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you can't be unheroic basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like everybody's a paladin. Yes. Yeah, so if you do a Kratos, yeah, Symphonia style, then you're, it's just like okay, yeah, you're gone. But then you yep, can always come buddy. back later, though. Yeah, and then so yeah, and, and tell then... him you're your, his father. Tell everyone right, they're exactly. you're his father, and that makes everything okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's cool. A lot of it is obviously like personal taste, but there there's a lot of very good uh, DMing tips mm-hmm. for like how to make your game feel like a JRPG and flow like a JRPG would. Yeah, and how to like work together to work, create meaningful arcs for each other, yeah. especially from the role-playing aspect, which at the end of the day, most people at the table probably aren't going to be trained actors, writers, and improvisers. Right, right. So right. they're not going to be able to pick up on small cues, let alone listen to each other half the time. Yeah. So the nice thing about this is that it makes it very clear to the people playing that you have to be clear to the people playing. Yeah, yeah. It's um, There is this very strong sense of like, when, when I think about role-playing in D&D, I feel, like, much more that it should be, like, a more improv style in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, you're not sitting down and discussing how your characters feel. Yeah. It's a lot more like you say something in character and then people respond in character and then that's how you kind of get a feel of, like, how people are feeling about the narrative. Yeah. But in this, there it kind of gives you a lot of small moments to stop and be like, okay, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at in the story. You know, we're interacting with these kingdoms. We're interacting mm-hmm. with these villains. This is how our characters feel about it. Mm-hmm. This is what I want my character to do next. Yes. This is where we want to go next. This is our objective, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot more like, hey, let's stop and just talk about our feelings. Yeah. Let's talk about where we want to take the story. Like, it's like a lot of like in between zero sessions to be like, exactly. Let's do a check in. Are we still going the hero story? If we're not, like, what's, why can't we do that? What's wrong with like, players and their characters or not like i don't want to say what's wrong but like what are you guys thinking about your characters right now what's keeping them from moving forward from certain points and what do you want to see like what is the arc or the character growth you want for your characters and Mm -hmm. what you want to see other characters help you with and it's stuff that makes it easier for the game master because now you have like oh yes now i don't have to remember your entire backstory and things that you do or do not remember to implement a storyline for you, it's, okay, everyone here is working together for this. Yeah, everybody kind of understands what the world is. Yeah, and everyone is also just watching the same against game go on, and you want to see this very good storytelling unfold. Like, no one wants to see a bad story, right? Like, I uh, I guess maybe someone does, but... Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the difference between, like, I want to see my story, right? Like, I'm pursuing Mm -hmm. my goals versus, like, we have decided on a narrative to tell, and yeah. we're all going to tell it together. Yeah. It's it's definitely built where it's like, if you have a world-ending cataclysm, like, maybe 
angels are attacking from the sky or a group of grand pianos is going to crash and destroy sure, your sure. earth. You guys are working together. Arc pianos. Yeah, arc pianos, yeah. So you guys have to work together to go stop the giant piano. But along the way, there's a lot of smaller conflicts that your characters deal with. Cellos, maybe. Yeah, Violins. Yeah, different bass instruments. Right. The whole orchestra, eventually. Right. Turns out, like, your father was the conductor behind everything. Oh, no. <laughs> Beethoven. <laughs> yes. Uh, his symphony and all that stuff. Musical references, I don't know. <laughs> Um, anyways, and you guys can work together to write those things. The other aspect I like about this game, if we're going to move on from like the yes, crazy please. stuff. If we've been talking for a very long time. Is that the narrative tools they give specifically the game master to make stories work. Hmm. We always hear in Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, oh, my villain got one-shotted. My big bad evil guy got one-shotted yes. suddenly. This sucks. The story kind of feels like very light and deflated. They have systems in there, which I think they call villain points or something, yep. where every villain has a certain amount of them, and they can either re-roll rolls, they can do extra actions, or they can just not die. Essentially, it's like, here's yep. my escape route, and they do your classical, ah, smoke bomb, I'm gone, or right. uh, my associates jump in to save me, and I get pulled up into a bigger ship, or maybe there's seven other compatriots on a lower level that you have to fight now right. before it, you come to me, the big bad guy again. There is a um, mechanical implementation of sucking your players into an unescapable cutscene. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, this is one of those things, I'll let you explain it more, mm -hmm. but this is another one of those things where, like, the rules are written in a way to follow the kind of, like, very tropey story, let's be real, yeah, very of a JRPG. JRPG. But to kind of like make it mechanically satisfying, right? Mm -hmm. Because every villain will have a pool of villain points they can use based on, you know, how powerful of a villain they are. Yep. Um, and they and can then, never recover them either. Yeah. So that means like if the D GM for some reason keeps throwing the villain at you and you're able to kind of like miraculously beat them every mm -hmm. time, then um, then you'll just kill them, right? Like if you do it enough times. But this, I mean, this is extremely unlikely to happen. I don't know. It's very Tales of Vesperia Zagi, if you remember that character. He's just... No, I actually never played Vesperia. Oh my God. Okay. It's like kind of like Sheena from Tales of Symphonia. Okay. Like she comes up and attacks you like three different times and the third time she joins you. Yeah, exactly. Sheena would be like a minor villain mm -hmm. in, in Fabula Ultima. So yeah, it's cool. There's there's like it doesn't feel cheesy because you're like, okay, this is just how villains work in this game. Yes. Yeah. Like mechanically you understand, like this is the world and how it works. Like you can implement that in legendary actions for D D, but it's very homebrew and it's not expected. With this game, it is hundred percent expected that yeah. your villains, if they're really a villain, which being a villain also grants your character certain uh, I think fabula points too. When they Saint. show up, yeah. Yeah. So it's like you know it's a villain. They're strong. Also, they do some weird bullshit where they can just get away sometimes. Right, yeah. But it also has mechanics for those villain points for combat if, for instance, they're defending their big ultimate weapon, their arc piano, if we said, sure. if we talked about it, with yeah, their yeah, giant yeah. laser cannons targeted on Denova. Maybe this is what we should have used for a music episode. Oh, maybe. Yeah, just for piano-based weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense for why the, player, why the villain would be making a last stand. But in the same vein, too the player characters can also make last stands. Right. The way, I guess, death happens in the game is that they don't technically die. They, like a JRPG, gets knocked out, and then you can life bottle them. Yeah, it's literally called surrendering. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I can, I can describe that really yeah, quick. So there's two options if you fall to zero hit points. Um, you're either surrendered and you uh, are removed from the scene until it ends, and, and afterwards you, you know, come back to consciousness. Or you can, oh man, what is it called? Martyrdom? It's it's literally <laughs> something like that. Oh, you can sacrifice yourself. Oh, okay. It's essentially martyrdom. Yeah, it's, it, yeah um, a bunch of grenades pop out of your <laughs> chest, and then you start hearing the villain uh, 
call you names on Xbox Live. <laughs> right. No, so so you can you can choose to have your character die, but then you will invoke some kind of like uh extreme scale victorious event. Mm-hmm. Um so like if you choose to sacrifice your character, you can have like him you know, uh, defeat the villain mm-hmm. potentially, or like stop some calamity from happening. Um, Grant a big boon for your players. It's very narrative, yeah. and it's something you can discuss with your players to make right. it seem fair and fitting for the situation. Yeah. So basically, you're never allowed to die unless you choose to do so, and then yeah. it's a it's still like a distinctly integrated narrative mechanic. Exactly, which is cool because I know a lot of D and D games implement a similar homebrew rule because usually when you get knocked to zero hit points, you're making death saves. You don't do anything, and then you die, and it feels bad. Yeah. So a lot of people like giving them like one last action or one last move mm. to just kind of give them that like send off for their characters, which I think this game implements really well in this scenario. Again, it's very narrative based, and it's how do you want to see your characters go? And sometimes yeah. it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't, but it's a nice tool to have in your belt to tell a cool story when a character is probably due to die. Yeah, this one seems a little tricky in practice to mm-hmm. me, the the sacrifice mechanic, mm-hmm. just because, like, it feels kind of abusable, right? Yeah, you like, keep just throwing your characters into... Yeah. You keep chow-suing them. Exactly. You're like, ah, damn it. Like, if someone doesn't want to... If someone isn't really that into the role play and is is just like, okay, well, fuck it, I'll just make a new character, right? Yeah, and that's where you have to make that discussion where, like, this game provides this mechanic, but we're trying to tell a focused story here. And, yeah. again, that's something where... It focuses more on the people at the table and communication yeah. and not playing with big assholes. Yeah, I mean, it'll just be a GM call, right? Yeah. But I mean, like, that's, it's just the kind of player, right? Like, sometimes people will play this game and they're not as into the sort of, like, story building as much as they are into the, mm-hmm. like, character accumulation kind of playing. Yeah, I think the way I would tackle it is that based off of how the character's like connection with the group, the stronger mm. their surrender oh, the effect or, or something. The effect yeah, would be for their martyrdom. The more bomb, the more grenades will pop out. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. For every bond point you get another grenade. Exactly, there you go. Something like that. Or it's something that you can work with there. Again, a discussion between the game master and the player for the narrative that makes yeah. sense. And I think other players can chime in too and like, oh, I think this would make sense. That's really if true. You were That's say, really true. Yeah. I think it's up to the player's individual choice if they want to surrender or sacrifice, but it's a group discussion because it's a group story. Yeah, it's nice that there is a there's a focus on every player also having a stake in the world oh, of the yeah. game. So there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot more like just collaboration is really just built into every sort of line of this rule book. Yeah, like JRPGs. It's all about collabs. That's really true. That's really true. <laughs> all your gacha games, they're all collabs. Hit me up with some of those, like, Pac-Man outfits for my characters for some reason. Uh, I love my Hatsune Miku PSO online hairstyles yep, yep. coming out of nowhere. Great. My twin Negi dual savers. <laughs> uh... I miss when, I miss when like, console games would do that more. I, it was like the PSP era was this crazy time of just, like, it was, the market for it was so huge that, like, there would just be these crazy adverts for random games and, like, products. <laughs> really? And because it was, like, also one of the first consoles that you could download stuff on. Like, oh, download true. DLC content. Mm-hmm. Download ATM machine. Yeah, okay. Um, sorry. Acronyms, um, why yeah. not? Anyways, yeah. JRPGs. JRPGs, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can write in your own collabs. Maybe you can collab with uh, Sega and get some Sonic-style merch for your characters. Yeah. Maybe uh, you can do that in your own fabulous Ultima game. Yeah. Do some loot boxes, some gacha systems. Oh, that would be great. Rates. Yeah, I hear they're coming out with another book that adds gacha and uh, loot boxes oh, to yeah, fabulous yeah. Ultima. Yeah, it'll be great. Okay. Yeah, all of it is just like uh, cosmetics too, so they don't actually do anything <laughs> for the game. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> if you want your character to look like this, you can unlock it in your imagination by paying two ninety nine. 
<laughs> oh man, that'd be fucked up. Uh, I want to imagine my princess in a red dress, but I only have a white one. Uh, I guess I gotta do like 80 scratch tickets before I can get anything <laughs> for re- remotely relatable. Okay, we are like, you were like really referencing PSO a lot, PSO2 a lot in our sort of like gotcha slash video game gambling mm-hmm. references, but like, it is such a niche game. <laughs> okay, I feel like people have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, well, Richard does. I've, I've told him to play it once and didn't play it with him, so I feel kind of bad. Okay, so what you're saying is he doesn't. Yeah, I, oh, you mean he downloaded it? He downloaded it, and then it. you didn't play with him. Yeah, well, he was playing, and like he just didn't play at the same time I was on. Oh, and also levels were different, so I was just like, uh brutal. Yeah, absolutely brutal. And it's like oh, I should have just switched classes to go down, but yeah. whatever. I yeah. mean, PSO is kind of a JRPG. It's an action JRPG, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This the story is absolutely JRPG batshit insane. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, if that's a qualifier, yeah, big giant yeah. monster battles. Um, I think the last narrative point that they give for specifically the GM is force cutscenes. You can actually right. just force a cutscene into a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's. Are you talking about um like narr- narrating like villain stuff off screen? Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah, can just yeah. go to points where the players aren't and like here's a GM scene and just like here's a couple like evil doers talking to the cells in the cave. <laughs> right, and you're right. like, huh? If yeah, because if you so basically the mechanic is like. If your characters are running out of Ultima points, mm-hmm. which they can use to kind of like influence the story um, to give them advantages, then you can throw them some by mm. narrating what the villains are doing off screen. So you can pull them into the sort of like anime thing where it's like suddenly the eight heads of the school are talking <laughs> in a dark room. You see shadows cover them and each one has a Roman numeral in front of their table. Right, exactly. And they're all really passive aggressive and it's kind of annoying. And for some reason their voices all sound the same until like later when it turns out like half of them were female. Well, it's, it's, there's like five dudes who all have like brooding dark voices. Mm-hmm. There's one dude who's like really small and has a high voice. Oh, yeah. And then there's two like ladies with like very sexy voices. Yes, yes. Exactly. No, sorry. There's one sexy lady and then there's one like little girl. Oh, right, right. And then they're all doing a round table. Yep, exactly. Trying to figure out the evil ploy for their grand world takeover. Right. Yeah, I mean, the example, I mean, the examples in the book would be stuff like villains talking about their plans. Maybe it's like an evil mayor and he's like, ah, Team yes. Rocket, Giovanni. Yeah, very Giovanni, much Giovanni, very much like that. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. But uh, the GM scene essentially like gives you like a point where like, hey, players, shut up. This is happening. This is exposition. Right. And it just kind of lets you know about the story, which... I think it's a cool how, technique. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Like, would you use that? Uh, maybe. To be fair, my style of jamming is very improv heavy. I like right the random batshitness Indeed. of just like the immediate moment and me yes ending you. Yes. Um, from like a writing and actor perspective, I can see structurally how they could be great for creating a more impactful narrative because now you can set a scene that's off screen that isn't related but you want the characters to know you want them to know that there is eight villains and they're planning to do this thing maybe their player characters don't know Mm -hmm. but you want the players to be aware this is something coming up so you don't blindside them when eight shadow figures come up to like save the villain right 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 Uh, it's a definitely it's tough because i think my main worry is like for gms who aren't used to um the storytelling aspects, this can be something that they become a crutch for them, and that's like their only way of telling a story instead of working with oh, yeah, what the okay. players are bringing to the table. You know, they're like, "Here's mm. my story. This is my story. It's happening at these points. Whatever you do, it's not impacting because they're still doing their thing." Yeah. 
are there other sections you wanted to touch on or should we kind of go into a sort of critique discussion? Uh, I think that's like basically most of what is covered in the starter kit. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more like mechanical aspects that you probably have to do a deep dive in on your own, but that's yeah, just you gotta read yeah, it. Yeah. They have like some item creation stuff um, right. with like item points and whatnot, but overall, I I don't have any issues with it. I don't have anything I would like to say about it. So yeah, I think that's we, a good we overview. Just dive in. Yeah. So our previous conversation kind of is a good lead in to one of my not critiques, but it doesn't play out so well for the one shot format just because like the game expects you to kind of like plan out the kind of like meta overview of what is in the world, what villains are there, what the villains are doing and how to like use the villains as a mechanic to punish your players for being Mm -hmm. stationary. Yeah. So you do kind of need to preface a lot of, a lot of the design with like okay, here's what exists in this world and here's what you guys are going to do. Mm-hmm. Um and if you don't use that, then you're kind of losing a lot of uh like certain mechanics, especially with like the narrative points that they give you to use. Mm. I can okay, I see where you're coming from. I think it has potential for one shots in the aspect of like you can do one shots that are great jumping off points for long term stories, right? Which is always what I think of when I'm making a one shot. I I know a lot of people treat one shots as a self encompassed story. That's it. There's nothing else. It's like mm. a filler arc. But I like episodes of one shots where there could be a little bit more because then you can give them an epilogue afterwards and then Mm. they can choose if they want to go take on the grand villain ideally in these scenarios maybe it's just like a very like saturday morning cartoon villain where it's just like i'm a grill master and i've been fishing up all the fish and now you have to take me out and they don't have any villain points they just have like they're just the big bad evil guy at the very end right 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 so there could be a setup there yeah, it, it it definitely weighs heavily into narrative, though, and it's hard to give, like, a very impactful narrative with one four-hour session. Yeah. In terms of the, the base mechanics, I think it, it would be fine, right? Because, like, I mean, mm-hmm. the starter kit is literally a one-shot. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I wonder, because if you read through the actual rulebook, there's, there's a whole process on, like, collaboratively creating the world mm-hmm. and, like, you know, listing out oh, yeah. what towns, empires, villages there are in it, um, like what the sort of like conflicts in the world are and stuff yeah. like that i think that's great though i like the no aspect. i do love it i, I do love, love the it. world building but it it doesn't it's like you're kind of like missing a lot of it by trying to design short sessions yeah though i guess like the, I, on the flip of, side mm-hmm. you can basically like every short session is pretty much just like a mini arc yeah. within the overarching kind of jrpg narrative yeah. anyways it's like the world building is very cool it reminds me of um What's that game that the McElroys played to make Ether Sea? I forget. Uh, yeah, the map thing. The map building game. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll add it in the comments. Just Google map building game. <laughs> Google map building game. Uh, like last season or last story or something weird like that. I'll put it in the comments. Um, but the idea is that like you, the point of this building is to get people invested in the world and the story. Yes. I mean, that's the point of it. It it's, definitely accomplishes that. Yeah, it like it helps you build out your own factions that you care about. It builds out worlds and families that maybe your characters are dealing with. Builds out villains for your characters. But from a one-shot perspective, you don't, you're not looking for that. You're looking for a quick session and nothing of that grandiose. So it doesn't really have to come in. Even the world building could be its own one-shot, realistically. Yeah. If you guys want to just sit around and build worlds. That's very fun. Build a cool setting for your characters. But the main thing here is that can it be used for one-shot scenario? And I say yes. It's just going to be a short arc, and then people can manufacture it to put into their own games. They can just, like, slapstick it in. But the whole point is, like, can you tell one quick, tight episode? 
I think you can. Uh, maybe they go into a dungeon, they're looking for something. I think they did the ship crashing thing, which is cool. I think that's a very classic start. And yep. you can also tell some batshit grocery store stories, I'm sure. Right, yeah. right. It's a shopping trip that's gone a wire. So I would say yes. I think this system, with the mechanics it has for the checks, the way they do combat, and the way they allow for their storytelling and narrative, you can really quickly just dive straight into a quick one-shot within... I think it'd probably only take like three to four hours depending on the combat. I actually haven't played it, so I can't really... Yeah, I'm curious about that. Like, when we actually playtest this, it'll be interesting to see, like, how long roleplay sections take. This actually reminds me, uh, this game is actually based on a Japanese TRPG called Ryutama, and that Ryutama. game... Ryutama. It's, like, Ryutama, like, dragon. Oh, Ryutama. Yeah, yeah. Like, Hadouken Ryu, yeah. Ryu, Kakujin, I don't know, some Japanese words. What does Genji say? I can never remember. Oh, he says, um, Ryujin no ken My neighbors can hear that. Good. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll know to Anna sleep me. Great Overwatch references. Okay, so it's based on this game mm-hmm. called Ryutama, which, okay, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, that game, I was just reading like a quick overview. There's this like really funny uh, translator's note from okay. the guy who translated it into English who was like, he says like this very like haughty thing. And at first I'm like, huh, that's like, a very annoying thing to say but he's like uh after like so many years of playing trpgs i find that i can no longer play western rpgs or something like oh, that oh really but what he says is really interesting because this the the new tama game is like apparently very focused on like a journey through a world mm. and so like a lot of narrative focus is put on like moving through locales and like what sort of like areas exist in the world and what you're doing there and like what kind of conflicts await so yeah there's like a lot of it is just like traveling and there's like skills and stuff like you can build your character to sort of aid that um so literal hero's journey yeah no no, it, it yeah straight up um it's it's super interesting but i'm wondering if like in um fabula ultima if role play sessions like role play sections would tend to be either really short because it's like here's what you do and then here's how you feel about it or um, if it's like a lot, it would be, you know, like a lot of dialogue. Again, this is going to take, this is kind of like a like softball answer, but it's going to depend on your table. No, yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. Your game master will like adjust for it if they're experienced too. So they'll make it go by faster or they'll yeah. be able to cut dialogue. There's definitely a lot of tools that can allow you to just be like, nope, we're moving. Right. Because like if we compare it to D&D, so, so in Fabula Ultima, there is when you're like creating the world <sighs> map with your group, you decide on like how far you can get through the map in a day okay in like one in-game day right Mm -hmm. so it definitely feels like there is going to be a lot more sort of like we need to get to this destination here's how we do it versus where in like DD, it might just be like okay we skip to you going there right or like okay we roll some survival checks and then you're there yeah i i have to read the main book to see how that distance thing matters if it's like a whole survival check slash there is random encounters yeah I, i get the point of that but like how does that help with narrative? For me, it's always like I tend to skip those just because I'm just like, jump. Like at most, yeah. maybe there's like a Dragon Age style moment where like, ah, you get a random encounter at like ambushed by bandits or something. Right. Yeah. That's but, it's, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Like, I think there's elements for that, but for a one shot perspective, you're probably in a town already, and something's wrong with the town. Yeah, some and it's just happen. Yeah, centralized. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Some maybe you run into a guy carrying a bunch of books, ready to read to children. I don't know. There's a. Is that a bad thing? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The references (laughs) to our own show do not be (laughs) in. But, I I mean, overall, I think 
would have to play with the design and actually play the game to get like a hard yes or no on can it work for a one shot but yeah. from what i see here there's enough similarities to D that mm-hmm. would allow me to say yes it can work there's definitely um, enough there already yeah it's the same problem with D, which is just that if you're playing a one shot you're not looking for heavy impact narrative you're looking for a quick adventure some giggles and laughs with the table yeah. and then you can send people home which is kind of the whole thing yeah honestly reading the quick guide and hopefully later once i read the whole thing I would definitely want to do this. I would make. I would want to work on this for a season or at least a couple episodes. Try and make a few games, make some one shots. What would you say is like the thing that speaks to you most, if you have one, or the thing you like the least? The thing I like the least is the combat. Like really, I'm very afraid of combat that like really restricts the players. Okay. Like in like you said, it's it's essentially theater of the mind, right? But. It has a little bit of a steep learning curve for some people, I think, because there's, like, hmm. two dice that you have to work with, and then there's a lot of skills that you have available to you. That is true. And when I give, like, people who don't play video games very often, like, a sorcerer handbook, they're like, there's a lot of magic, and I don't get it, and I don't want to read it. Right, right, right. It's, yeah, well, I think the system kind of, like, it front loads the complexity in character creation. Yes. Because I think in Fabula Ultima, you're not actually, you don't have access to a bunch of spells. Mm-hmm. You invest in a class and then you learn a spell from the class and then that's like basically all you can use. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I was just reading through the skills and they're like, ah, oh, they have three different skills like Pokemon and then they have their attacks and their abilities and I'm like, that's right. a lot of reading for somebody. That, um, yeah, that's true. But I mean, it's kind of simpler in the sense that you just pick a thing to use and that's all you can do. Okay, that's fair. Okay. But, yeah, no, that's that's an interesting yeah. point. I mean, that's something I have to dig into a bit more, but that was my big worry. As far as the thing I like, having a bit more time to think about it, I like the collaborative narrative aspect. Like, that, to me, that just speaks to me. Yep. Having everyone at the table be more transparent about it and just, like, talk to each other and being able to build bonds that are clearly labeled. The worry about that part with the bonds is that people only play to the one word that they see. They're like, I mistrust you all the time. I'm like, <laughs> yes. no, that's not what that means. Yes, that okay, that is exactly what I thought was just like, doesn't it make interactions between characters way too one-dimensional? Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't. Hopefully, you don't play it like that. Yeah, because that's not like oh, it's the way. That's not how humans work. That's not how humans work. It kind of is how humans work, actually. Sometimes they don't just go. I've labeled this person I've met as mistrustful, and no matter what, most of the eighteen hundreds and nineteen hundreds. Okay, so like, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. Yeah, so if you have a friend and you've known him for a long time, and he he like treats you badly, or he forgets to do something. Let's say like he like borrowed twenty bucks and never paid you back, or something. You don't be like that guy's cheap. He's like. That's not like the forever thought you have of this one man for the rest of his life, right? Oh, right, 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 yeah. It's like, it's something that you think about occasionally, like, oh, this is kind of how I feel about him. But he's still, like, my friend, we still interact with each other. Yeah. And there's room for growth. Well, in the system, it's specifically like, oh... I'm reminded of an event that yes. invokes this emotion in me. Exactly. Yeah, so. And that's what the key part is. But my fear is, like, a lot of players who don't know how to, like, take a little bit more context out of, like, or provide a little bit more depth in their roleplay, they'll right. see one key word and be like, I am mistrustful of you. Right. Oh, I am very loyal to you. That means I will do everything you say. I'm like, yeah. that's not what that means. It's, yeah, I mean, I feel that, though. It's, like, it's just easy. It easier easy. to do that. Sometimes it's hard to, like, yeah. make a decision on the spot, so you're kind of just like, oh, okay, I'll just fully play into this one thing. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, well, you, is your character only one thing? As, as any, is it ever a person just one thing in their life? And it's not the case. Yeah. But it requires you to think a little bit more about who your character is, what their backstory is and like where they're from and the nice thing about the bonds and ideals and stuff is like they give you a little bit more themes to work with. yeah it's nice it's there's i yeah it's it's cool how well integrated these sort of like 
narrative tools for your character can play into the game. Yeah. Um, so like it kind of encourages you to invoke characteristics of your player to change the action, like change effects of actions and stuff. Yep. And yeah. then you said the world building thing. I really like the idea of incorporating players into world building. I yes. think that helps get them more invested in it. Yeah. But that's for a more long form campaign, which probably isn't something we're going to be touching on when we're doing designs. But yeah. TLDR, I like the game. I think combat could be a little scary because there's a lot of reading for people, but you know, people can read. And then for the role playing side, I think it'll be really fun. I like the collaborativeness of the storytelling and right. the clear goal of writing a group story instead of your individual story what about you daniel um i really like just how you know i really don't think any of the rules in this game are like groundbreaking in terms of like here's how you should role play well yeah. you know but it is it is very interesting to have this rule book where it's basically like here are best practices for how to run a game and how to make sure everybody's having fun and yep. be involved and I feel like if you read through this book, like the rule book, the like, you know, maybe like first quarter of the rule book or just the starter kit. The starter kit is great. It will, I think it will help you a lot as a dungeon master mm-hmm. for any oh, other system. Yeah. yeah. I would recommend this for a lot of people if they're just starting out. Let's say you're not looking to play Fabula Ultima, but you want to learn how to be a game master and like learn tools to help you. They have a lot of quick small tips here and there on just how to like make a scene, make feel fun, feel intense. Um, make players' actions have long-term and short-term consequences. Right, right. Uh, I think the one that they say in this one is with the boat. When it crashes, you give a moment for the players to do something to help prevent the crash from happening. It's going to happen, but like help them like lessen the blow. And depending right. on their roles, a short-term consequence, if they rolled really great, is that the boat will take like a data fix. If they rolled really poorly, a long-term consequence could be that this boat's going to take two weeks to fix, and now you have to figure out how to get back to your... Mm -hmm. your home empire without maybe you're across enemy lines like in tales of abyss or something right 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 yeah i like how um the focus is very much on like here is a narrative punishment Mm -hmm. right like oh the villain is going to you know have time to do this with his plan or you're going to be further away from your objective here as opposed to just like you know you get disadvantage on this or Mm -hmm. you take damage or whatever. I mean, they say that's still an option for you, but like you can add more to it that matter more to your character. It's nice to just have that reminder, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, here's some cool examples of how you can make your party further from their like narrative objective. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice when it comes back, they're like, they know why that happened because they can remember literally last session. Oh, right. We fucked up on that roll. Right, right. (laughs) Or like, oh, we didn't do anything here to help prevent the ship from crashing. We just stood around and stared at each other. (laughs) Yeah, I think someone was in the bathroom. Yeah. Getting trips. Although the the guy didn't put on a seatbelt. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I think that this quick start, like you said, great for new game masters. Please read it if you're looking to start. A lot of it is just tips that like I've had to learn from YouTube videos and other stuff. Right, right. And there's a lot of starter kits out there, even for Dungeons and Dragons. And I ran the Fendelin one starter kit, and yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. You need to actually like study it. Yeah. To know what's gonna happen next. Yeah, and it's old, so it doesn't place as much emphasis on maybe the more role play style that some of the more modern players coming in may be looking yeah. for. Yeah. So, and it like it doesn't teach you like how to like cut out things that maybe you don't like. Which I think this yeah. game does like yeah. bring it in. It's just like, hey, if you don't like certain things, just snip it and Yeah, it's just a lot of really it. good advice. Yeah. Snip it and quit it. Yeah. Is that um I think that's like vasectomy. Yeah, that was like vasectomy maybe? Yeah. Okay. Um is there any other points you want to hit on before we close out? Uh no, I think um that yeah, great overview. Check yeah. out the starter kit. It's nice. 
yeah, uh, you can get it at Drive Through RPG, I believe. Um, I think it's like a roughly twenty bucks for the whole thing, but the starter kit's free. Um, this sounds like a sponsored ad, and it's not. It's not. It's yeah. just like the saddest part. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I fell and broke my leg. Luckily, I have <laughs> Fabula Ultima there to help me get me some back infomercial. In. Yeah, Larry Insurance Program brought me back up and kept my family safe before <laughs> I lost all my money in my job. Oh God! It cured my cancer. It saved me from my ex-husband. It's I don't know. Oh no! I don't know what's happening there. That's an interesting idea for a one shot. Uh yeah uh, yeah save the uh, save the wife from the ex-husband. Uh maybe that's something. Hmm. Probably not. Okay, uh, let's close out. All right. But yeah, thank you for listening to us. We are One Shot at a Time, a tabletop role-playing game podcast. We make one-shot adventures usually. Today was kind of a bonus. Today was a one-shot of a one-shot, I guess. Is that how it works? I guess so. I don't know. We just reviewed a possible RPG we're going to look into for next season. Uh, Maybe next episode we'll do a quick breakdown just to test it out. Maybe? Yeah, we should look into that. That sounds fun. Yeah, I think it's it, this is the kind of thing where you really can just like improv a session mm-hmm. on the spot. So yeah. Yeah. Outside of that though, my name is Daniel Locke. I am your game master. Where are we going to be in a couple months? Oh yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, we will be at Phoenix Fan Fusion on June third and fourth, which I believe is Saturday and Sunday. We'll be doing two panels there. I will be running a panel on one shot design for Dungeons and Dragons. It's the one I usually do at most cons here in Arizona, so if you've seen me at any other con, uh, this one will be a little bit different, because we're going to take your ideas and incorporate it into a one-shot. Also, we'll be running a panel on improvisation and how to implement games and exercises for your table, and what you can use to get your energy up and learn better hyper-listening skills or develop games within your group. Just essentially work on improvising skills. Yeah, just games to help you play D&D. Yeah, just games to help you play D&D. A game to help you play a game. Aim Labs. Uh, Aim... (laughs) Yep. But uh, outside of Aim Labs, you can always reach out to us at one shot at a timecast at gmail.com. Submit any prompts for anything you want us to see us turn into a one shot. Uh, we love receiving them from you, Josh. I don't know why I keep calling Josh out for this. <laughs> uh, he's great. He submitted us four prompts. Really? He did, yeah, a while ago. Oh, you we mean three at the same time? No, it was. Oh, well, it's if you count. So it was. Catch me if you can. Right. Pokemon, Pokemon slash trail? Digimon or something yeah. or something. And well, he literally said like, or something like that. And or s- Oregon trail. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyways, not important, but you can get so it was that one l- submission. Yeah. Okay. I can- thought he had sent you four separate emails. Cause that would be huge. <laughs> That'd be very cool. If but, anybody did that really. Yeah, really. So please be that person. And do I don't that think a single us. person has ever emailed me more than four times. <laughs> yes. But yeah, if you want, except your- like Rubio's, why did Rubio's email you? He was emailing me about points. Oh, I had this dumb thing where Rubio's emailed me like, take this survey and get a free dessert. I was like, okay, I'm just going to answer bullshit until the last question. And the last question was like, please type enough words about why you rated this the way you did. And then it it was like, there's a meter and it fills up as you're typing. And I was like, (laughs) oh, fuck this. And so I was just like, I'm just going to start typing stream of consciousness. And then I ended up typing way more than I needed to just because it was kind of (laughs) fun. I wonder the guy reading the review, what he's thinking about. He's probably thinking like this guy seems like a good writer maybe you have a great stream Hopefully. of conscious yeah. yeah okay um back to it but yeah if you want your prompts to be talked about like this <laughs> send it to us on email at one shot at a time cast at gmail.com as always we ask that you leave a five-star review on apple spotify wherever you listen and get your podcast and if you can tell your friends word of mouth is the best way to help us out we love doing this podcast and we'll keep doing it but outside of that anything else i'm missing uh you can catch me at your local rubios on taco tuesdays <laughs> rubios